purpose in life is to destroy the Fantastic Four, and me especially. Hey y'all, welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Milne. And we did it again. Um, <laughs> somewhere along the line, for some reason, we ran out of time to do our regular episode, so we are reaching back into the vaults uh, and pulling out a fill-in issue. Um, <laughs> this is uh, fill-in issue number two. This week, we're going to talk about the Comics Code Authority. Yay? Yeah. Question mark? Yeah, question mark. I think it'll be good. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so... If you're not a comic book fan, or if you're a comic book fan who only became one in the last, you know, 15 years or so, mm-hmm. um, you might have no idea what this is. But um, so if you look uh, on the covers of pretty much any comic published uh, from the mid 50s to, say, late 90s or early 2000s, um, there'd be a little rectangle on there that looked like a stamp and it would say, Approved by the Comics Code Authority. And actually, the Marvel by the Month logo uh, that I made, I put one, it's sort of garbled, but I put one (laughs) on there just for ironic purposes. Yes, yeah. Although we do kind of meet, I mean, mostly, unless Noah arrives. Right, Uh, yeah, yeah. and we do a pretty good job of censoring him um, as much as any two human beings can. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so... uh, the Comics Code was a uh, basically a self-regulating uh, authority um, that basically said uh, this funny book doesn't include any bad stuff, any um, gore or violence or sexiness or um, any challenging concepts. Based politically <laughs> challenging, even yeah. yes, and it was uh yeah, it was like the the G rating of comics. Yeah, and- it's like the G rating, but. Even Bambi's mom doesn't get shot. Yeah, like times 10. Yeah. I, I believe that there was a quote from somebody. We'll see if we get to that. But uh, <laughs> that it was it was like a, getting a G rating in movies times 10 yeah. is what it what they adhered to. Yeah, us. yeah. It, it, like imagine if G was the only rating that a movie could have. Um, and so it's like either your movie could have a G rating or it couldn't. And if it couldn't, it couldn't be released. That's the comics code. Hooray. <laughs> Yay. Um, really, really awesome uh, moment in uh, comics history that lasted way too long. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the comics code. Um, so uh, it was uh, originally formed in 1954 by the Comics Magazine Association of America. Um, and this is not the first time that the uh, comics industry attempted to regulate itself. Um, there was in 1948... Um, uh, an attempt uh, by the Association of Comics Magazine Publishers, um, which had a code that was pretty similar to this um, that was based on the uh, 1930s uh, Hayes Code uh, in Hollywood that regulated movies. But uh, the 1948 version was really never enforced. It was just something, it was a, a CYA move uh, on behalf of publishers to try to make it look like they were trying to do something to address parental concerns. <laughs> uh, but they really, you know, they didn't. Um when it came back around in the mid fifties, uh, it was a much bigger deal. Um, it was uh, formed in uh, September, 1954 as a response to the public outcry over violent, gory crime and horror comics. Aww. And it's funny. I was actually talking to my dad uh, who uh, he was born in 43. So, you know, he was you know right around this age. Um, and, uh, you know, he read uh, a lot of war comics uh, at the time. He read Superman and Batman and, um, 
I, I asked him, it's like, so did you know about like the horror and the crime comics? He's like, oh yeah. And I was like, did you read them? He's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I, I did have a brief talk with my dad recently about this. He was um, born in 1945 mm-hmm. and, uh, and he, this was, I was specifically talking to him about what we normally cover, which is the, the, the Marvel hero universe. So yeah. this is a, he said they also occasionally read uh, some of the horror comics that some of the neighbors would have. Uh-huh. And he had, so he had brothers that he was uh, right in the middle of five brothers. So there were older brothers that got a hold of things that were a little <laughs> more racy than what they would normally have in the house. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like some of these things were probably the equivalent of like when we were growing up and this is going to sound so innocent to <laughs> people who were 20 years younger than us, but like, you know, like someone's dad had a stack of playboys or something, you yeah. know, and it's like, you're being exposed to something that you're really, you are not mature enough to really be able to process. Um, so a lot of these comics, the, the pioneers of these types of comics uh, was EC Comics. Um, and I am a huge EC Comics fan. Like, Me too. <laughs> I've, been, um, I've been collecting uh, Dark Horse now, uh, has taken over the publishing of the uh, EC Archives uh, reprint library. And um, these things are, they're so good. Um, they did you know the most over the top crime and horror and gore comics uh of the early 50s um so you know tales from the crypt is an ec comic vault of horror shock suspense stories crime suspense stories weird science like um these are all things that uh, were published uh in just like a five-year period um tales from the crypt spawned a tv show you know yeah. like i think hbo did that show yeah. originally yeah yep. Um, and, and, um, and like creep show, Stephen King's homage. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, um, that was also based on EC comics that yeah. was inspired by and based on, and so many things are like uh, the walking dead. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and EC had the, some of the best artists working in comics, uh, at the time working on their stories. So like guys like Jack Davis, uh, or Jack Kamen, Joe Orlando, Wally Wood, Um, You just had, you know, these phenomenal talents um, telling these like really, I mean, super over the top stories like (laughs) like they're, you know, I'm I'm not a fan of censorship. I'm not a fan of, you know, uh, restricting access to art. But um, there's definitely like there's stuff in those books where, you know, I've got a six year old kid, like even if he was seven, eight, nine years old, like I don't think I'd want him reading some of these things. Yeah, yeah. Just like you wouldn't want him to read a Garth Ennis Punisher run, you know, just exactly. there's just like way over the top uh, violence yeah. and, and or <laughs> just incredibly bizarre things. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's one of those sometimes things. in the pulpiest ways, yes. you know, that's yeah. the other, you know, that is part of the this the pulp era. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like going back and looking at him with an adult's eyes, you understand that's like, yeah, these are great. I mean, they are all like little morality plays like. 99% of the time the really bad characters just get a terrible fate. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's innocent people. Maybe they're casualties along the way, but you know, the bad guy always gets his comeuppance at the end. Um, but still like it was, you know, really over the top and I could totally imagine like, especially in the fifties, like a parent picking up one of these and like flipping through them and being like, Oh my God. Yeah. I cannot believe that, this is, you know, going in, and and you were talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of these being published every single month. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, this was a dominant form of entertainment, you know, back in the day. And so far less innocent than, you know, burning Beatles albums or totally. whatever, you know, like yeah. 
the Beatles were talking about holding hands and maybe getting a kiss or something. Right. Like we're talking way first base or prior. Yeah. And this stuff is covering all kinds of racy oh, topics. Well, talking about base, um, I remember that uh, one of the plots of the story was, uh, I believe it was a manager of a baseball team who was uh, incredibly cruel to his players. Um, and so they got revenge on him by dismembering him and uh, creating a baseball diamond out of his entrails and organs. <laughs> so that is a great example of the what you that that helps really define over the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's so, hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, the, the parents groups of the day, the churches of the day, um, you know, started really getting a little um, uh, cranky about this stuff. And then it really uh, hit ahead with uh, in 1954. There was this uh, psychiatrist who worked with juvenile delinquents. His name was Dr. Frederick Wortham. Uh, he published a book called Seduction of the Innocent. Um, and uh, it was all about, uh, it was full of mostly junk science, um, but it, he was making the connection of uh, comic books to uh, juvenile delinquency. Um, <laughs> and this led to congressional hearings. Um, if you can imagine that, like comics were actually being like the way that video games are now yeah they were being scapegoated for kids doing terrible things and uh you started seeing things like public burnings of comic books um and there were cities that actually passed ordinances against the sale of crime and horror comics which is it's unconstitutional like it would not have held up in court but like that was not the point you know the point yeah. was that you know, you had city councils, you had parents groups, you had churches that were really freaked out by this happening. And they were in places like Mississippi and Texas. And yeah, uh, yeah. as you might guess, but uh, but still, that's that's a pretty huge reaction. And if you have even junk science, you, people are going to say this is a reason. That's why we have that's why we had the PMRC yeah. in, in the 80s. And, uh, and video games are still getting blamed for mass shootings. Yeah. And, you know, people still think that, you know, vaccines cause autism. It's like if you give people like a shred of there's some dodgy evidence. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and that will continue. But now, oddly, heavy metal music isn't on, on the line, <laughs> nor are comic books. Yeah. Uh, even though they were equally as reviled in this time. Yes, exactly. And um, so, you know, technically the CMAA, it was a self-regulating body, but effectively most comics that didn't carry the seal of the comics code authority would not be sold on newsstands. Yeah, so I mean, if you, same thing. if you can't get distribution, it's like basically no distributor was going to take the risk of, you know, being protested or shut down. You know, like they just weren't going to sell them. So, you know, um, you either needed this this dumb little seal on your comic book or, you know, it was never going to be sold anywhere. And good luck, you know, staying in business. Um, so we have Dell, Western, Gold Key, Looney Tunes, Lone Ranger, Tom and Jerry, Walt Disney were all under Gold Key. Mm -hmm. um, these are the the exceptions yeah. that were obviously wholesome. Um, yeah, they, they didn't go through the Comics Code Authority because they didn't need to. Because, like, if you see Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse on a comic book in your parent, you're like, okay, I mean, probably Donald's not murdering someone. Probably. I don't think he's got a temper. And he doesn't know. wear pants. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, he, he maybe he, did, he just could not have gotten Comics Code Authority yeah. you know, uh, permission. So. Uh, classics illustrated was another one that was safe. Yep. Um, treasure chest, the <laughs> Catholics <laughs> comics publisher distributed in parochial schools. Yeah, so, so that was it. Those were the safe brands. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they bypassed this, but uh, basically anything else that, you know, was, uh, 
published in comic book format, uh, you either got the seal on it or you were out of business. Yeah. And there was no in between. Um, not for years later. Um, the, uh, the publisher of uh, EC Comics, uh, William Gaines, uh, he believed that some of the code's restrictions, which is, we'll go through these step by step, and um, <laughs> they are amazing yeah. uh, in hilarious but also terrible ways. Yeah. Um, uh, Gaines believed that uh, some of these uh, rules were put in place specifically to put his line of comics uh, out of business. Um, and, you know, whether that was intentional or not, and it probably was because EC Comics sold really, really well. Yeah. Um, it, it totally worked. Like uh, within a year of the comics code coming out, um, by the end of 1955, every EC comic was out of business. It, it was no longer being published. Um, the only comic that survived was Mad, um, a little comic book called Mad, which it survived by becoming Mad Magazine. And as a magazine, it was not subject to the restrictions of the code. Um, so they didn't have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, so out of the ashes of EC Comics, Mad Magazine survived. Wow. And, and... It, it survived until, sadly, 2019, um, oh. when it was just sales uh, that that doomed it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, a pretty good run. Yeah. And one of my favorite things, just an aside about Mad, um, that we've talked about occasionally uh, a guy named Mark Evanier oh, yeah. who made a comic book called Grew the Wanderer, which yep. is sort of a, a parody satire of like Conan the Barbarian. Yep. Um, and it, and it's hilarious. Uh, it was drawn by Sergio Aragones. Yes. And uh, he uh, did like all of these side cartoons within Mad Magazine. And those cartoons were hilarious by any standard of uh, adult or childlike mind uh, i know because i tested that <laughs> oh sergio's the best um he's one of my very favorite cartoonists of all time and yeah got his start at mad magazine so you know in a weird way if it wasn't for the comics code maybe we wouldn't have gotten sergio um who is an international treasure yeah agreed um, and still going strong uh hopefully by the time this airs he is still going strong <sighs> we don't know when this is going to air like i should clarify like sergio as far as i know is doing fine but you know we record these things months in advance in case we screw up our schedule so serge i hope this is coming out in 2040 and i hope you're still doing great oh yeah we're rooting for you yeah <laughs> not that there's anything wrong <laughs> oh god <laughs> to, to clarify oh man <laughs> So the uh, the comics code it, it it started out in 1954 was not revised until 1971, wow. um, and then um, that was sort of like the first crack in the in the wall, um, and then it got revised a few more times. Uh, it started to lose steam uh, in the mid 1970s, um, and actually Marvel played a role in that. Uh, and we'll once we start getting into the 1970s in. Um, in this podcast when we stick to our schedule uh <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that but there was essentially there was a spider-man issue where um stanley says that he was approached by uh the uh u.s government to do a story about the dangers of drug abuse um and so he did it um the code uh refused to approve it because it showed drug use um and the decision was made to just go ahead and uh, publish it anyway. And that was sort of like the first uh, crack in the wall. Um, also, like all the underground comics of the 60s and 70s, like they didn't care. Yeah. Like they were being sold in head shops. So like they didn't need code approval to do anything. And here's something I read about uh, 
about the comics code. So there's a there's a there's a famous contributor, later editor, um, to DC Comics named Marv Wolfman. Yes, uh, his name couldn't appear in a. They they denied some comics to run because his name was there. They had to make sure they moved and credited him appropriately on the first page. If it wasn't anywhere but the first page, they couldn't have his name in there because it was Wolfman. Yeah, because that's that's too horror related. Yeah. And that that's getting like that's like a robot parsing the law. If you can't work that out as a human being, I mean, artificial intelligence can work that out right, now. Right. So uh, those lawyers were being like to the letter. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, man. I mean, just I mean, well, that's that's censors, though. Right. I mean, yeah, like they're they have no creative soul right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, it's uh, so sad. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that by the. As, as you said, by the 80s uh, or by the, you know, the 70s, we had we get to the 80s. We have this uh, Spider-Man story mm-hmm. that challenges it. Uh, and a lot of restrictions got significantly relaxed from yeah, there. Totally. Uh, Marvel withdrew from the CMAA in 2001. So they still went on into the 21st century. Yeah. And all publishers were done by 2011. And I think Archie was maybe the last to just like no one else was doing it anymore. Yeah, I think the last three publishers, it's a weird mix. It was DC Comics. It was Archie. And it was uh, Bongo Comics, which published (laughs) Simpsons Comics. (laughs) Weird. So uh, a funny note, though, the intellectual property rights to the CCA seal are now owned by the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund which represents comics creators and retailers and defends their first amendment rights. So they bought that, that visual stamp because that was something that had uh, railed against really against the first amendment. So now, now they own it. So the tables have turned. It's so great. I I love the fact that they did it. I hope they paid about a buck for it. Um, (laughs) And I'm so glad that that they own it and they can use it any way they want to now. Um, It's so, it's so wonderful. And hopefully they don't come after us for the, you know, garbled version that's on our logo. Please <laughs> well, don't. You know, oh. they're, they're based in Portland now. We could just talk to them. Yeah, I yeah, guess if so. we have to, we'll have a, we would gladly have a meeting or have somebody on this very show. That's a great idea. Hello out there in whatever time we happen to put this fill in episode. Perhaps you've already been on. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps not. If not, then please, uh, you know, write an email to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we're going to get into uh, going through the code point by point. But before we do that, I want to recommend two very good books uh, for more information. I've read both of these. Um, and uh, I mean, they're redundant, uh, but I, I think they're two really good takes on it. Um, and I'd recommend both of them. Uh, the first is called uh, The Ten Cent Plague, The Great Comic Book Scare and How It Changed America by David Hajdu. Um, and the second is Seal of Approval. The History of the Comics Code by Amy Kist Nyberg. Um, so, yeah, definitely support both of them. They did some great research on it. Um, I believe um, Seal of Approval uh, came out first, and I think that was um, pretty generously um, credited uh, in Tencent Plague, uh, which yeah, took everything in there and expanded upon it. Um, so, yeah, they're both absolutely solid, uh, and they deserve your money. I need to read them. Uh, Yeah. Um, So cool. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to go through the Comics Code of 1954. So stay tuned. 
So we are covering uh, the Comics Code of 1954. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go point by point through these. There's basically about 20 different uh, rules. And as you will see as we get through these, uh, they're not all that much different from each other. <laughs> it's like if the Ten Commandments had three, but there were still ten, which yeah. they kind of do. Yeah, it it's, uh, didn't have a great editor. Uh, again, this is not written by uh, terribly creative people or you know artistically inclined. Um, they were mostly concerned with stamping that out. So um... <laughs> <laughs> let, let me take point one. Okay, go for point one. Okay. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. Yeah. Uh, that's incredibly vague, especially that last point. So like if you write a story that has a crime in it and then a kid decides that he wants to emulate the criminal, like, I mean, how can you give a creator the responsibility for inspiring or not inspiring a crime. Like that's insane. And how do you parse vigilanteism? Like say Batman. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I know that he worked in cooperation with the commissioner. Right. But well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, because of the comics code in Batman comics of the 1950s, he is literally a deputized Gotham <laughs> that makes police sense. character. You so know? now this will these will help you as we <laughs> unpack them uh, will help you understand why uh, so many odd things that you might have <laughs> scratched your head about happen. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like when people you know deride something as being it's like, oh, it's so comic booky. <laughs> it's like because early comic books and, and, you know, from 1954 to at least 1971, you know, you were restricted in the kinds of stories that you could tell, you had to tell these extremely simplistic stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he like point number two, if crime is depicted, it shall be as a sordid and unpleasant activity. So you could never show a criminal, like you could never provide any incentive for someone wanting to do a criminal activity. Like, obviously there's reasons that people would want to do it, but you could only show it as unpleasant um, and and sorted and terrible you know <laughs> that's so that's so hard to pin down like yeah. any criminal anybody we've talked about in the early issues of marvel uh i, I mean even namor yeah. the submariner he's conflicted right. so they've painted him in a gray area right away which seems like it would just be threading the needle here on yeah that. but i think they were specifically when when they're talking about this point it's specifically you know guys in fedoras with tommy guns yeah which which do pop up a lot. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's actually to, you know, Stan and Jack's credit and, and everyone else in the Marvel uh, bullpen that they were able to create these conflicted characters who didn't always do the right thing, but still managed to slip through the comics. Code. Right. Right. Yeah. The, having any depth in a character is pretty much forbidden. They right. should have just said that at the top. <laughs> um, so point three. Uh, again, tying back to points two and one, uh, policemen, judges, government officials and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you could never have a bad cop. You can never have uh, a politician or a, an elected official who is um, working for his own selfish goals or ends. Um, it, it's got to be, you know, flag wave and apple pie and baseball all the way. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, number four. Uh, again, so many of these are redundant. Criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position 
which creates a desire for emulation. <laughs> Again, that's uh, <laughs> that's point number one. It's the same thing. I, I like to think that they wrote just one huge run on sentence and then someone decided to at least parse it out into right. redundant things. Um, so uh, where are we at? Point six, uh, five, point yep. five. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. Yeah. So um, no twist endings ever. Right. Yeah. Right. How many really like amazing stories have you read where good does not triumph? I mean, that's kind of isn't that sort of a life lesson is like, hey, the good guys don't always win. Right. You know, and uh, there's there's an Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is also the best. Yes. Just send your angry letters to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, this one is. uh well, this is pretty specifically for EC Comics. Uh, scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary knife and gunplay, physical <laughs> agony, the gory and gruesome crime shall be eliminated. That's not even a sentence. Nope. Uh, and uh, I love unnecessary knife and gunplay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well... I've, I just want to know where necessary ends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone, everyone's got a different opinion on what necessary knife play is <laughs> i mean i can't get through a day without some necessary knife play right um so uh point seven no comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in its title that's straight that at is ec straight at ec comics yeah uh vault of horror no um <laughs> yeah it, it's ridiculous um here we go again another redundant one uh point number eight all scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. So, yeah, still just same, same. Yep. Uh, nine, all lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. So they wanted to parse out, don't draw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't say it, but also don't draw it either. <laughs> Can't get out of this one. Right. Yeah. It's like, ah, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> Um, where are we at? 10? 10. Yeah. Inclusion of stories dealing with evil shall be used or shall be published only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue. And in no case shall evil be presented alluringly, nor so as to injure the sensibilities of the reader. <laughs> so you can have evil as long as it's clear and unambiguous evil, like the traditional devil with you know a pitchfork, just being evil. Yeah, being the, the clear and obvious bad guy. Right. And this is probably my favorite. Yeah. Very this, specific. This is the best too. one. Yeah. 11. Number 11. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires and vampirism, goals, cannibalism and werewolfism, <laughs> which is not a word, not a word. Uh, are prohibited. Uh, so, yeah. uh, sorry, Marv Wolfman. Yeah, <laughs> that is what caused the problem for Marv Wolfman. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but this is obviously just anything about uh, what has been as associated with horror, especially um, up to this point in yeah. like ancient cultures, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> so, or even like classic literature. And this, yeah. this is something that in the seventies, the code did loosen up a little bit where it's like, okay, if you're doing like the literary version of Frankenstein or Bram Stoker's Dracula or something like that, it's allowed. Yeah. But, I think Edgar Allan Poe also yeah. was okay. So if you want to have the pit and the pendulum or the, you know, 
uh, Telltale Heart or right. some murder story that has a little bit of gore, but it's been it's been through the classic literature mill, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, prof- profanity, obscenity, smut, vulgarity, or words or symbols which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. So no cussing, uh, no dirty talking. They, there's a lot of uh, gray area in here. Like you mm-hmm. know what what might be acceptable in New York may not be acceptable in Oklahoma city. Um, but the code does not distinguish between any of that. So it's real lowest common denominator stuff. Yeah. Like Fred Flintstone saying razzle frazzin could be considered. We know that it's to replace a swear word right? or even just some symbols randomly put together to yep. replace a swear word. I mean, with this vagueness, it could be. Yeah. And then I think we're somewhere around 13, something um, like that nudity in any form is prohibited as is indecent or undue exposure. Yeah. So this wasn't even an issue. Like I I've never seen a comic of the era that actually had explicit nudity in it. Um, but, uh, if you remember, um, last time we did one of these, we were talking about, um, uh, Stanley's original synopsis for the fantastic four. And his idea was that the way that the invisible girl's powers would work would be that, uh, her clothes would remain visible, but she would turn invisible and she would take her clothes off to become completely invisible. And then he puts a little footnote and he's like, Jack, this might be too sexy. Talk to me about it. <laughs> and I love the idea of uh, some something invisible that's too sexy, too. But uh, like, uh, you know, as we know from <laughs> the invisible girl, she's drawn with there's an outline. Right. So there's still. A shape, but uh, uh, but when you just imagine this, it's like uh, what Stan was worried about was whether an invisible woman was too sexy because her clothes we knew her clothes were off, right? And yeah, and so hilarious, yeah. Uh, oh, well, and this leads directly into the next one: uh, suggestive and salacious illustration or suggestive posture is unacceptable. Um, so this is like, yeah, even if she's got her clothes on, if she's posed in a sexy way this is not permissible showing too much leg yep and this uh, uh weirdly was an issue with archie comics um <laughs> where uh apparently the necklines were a little too low uh in some issues and they had oh, to go yeah. back and be redrawn yeah so. they had to erase cleavage yep um i do remember reading about that um and speaking of this uh, females shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities yeah I'd also like to point out that uh, Marvel was still adhering to these rules in the 90s when uh, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were drawing <laughs> X-Men and, and you know, the mutant books. Uh, and if you think there was no uh, exaggeration of physical qualities going on uh, in those books, uh, it just goes to show how quick the uh, the comics code ran out of steam. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are impossible uh, and in fact, kind of gross uh, yeah. depictions of not kind of gross depictions of women, like exaggerated, obviously male fantasy women, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for whatever reason. So that one, when I read it, actually seemed pretty progressive. Uh, yeah, it, it yeah. just but also but not for the reasons right that, that they were like, trying for. Right. It's like <laughs> now it's like, yeah, I think it is cool. It's like the way that Jen Bartel draws women is awesome. Like right. She's <laughs> fantastic. She has gorgeous women. Uh, who are realistically proportioned and beautiful um and, and also very like that's yes like, yeah th- this this presumes like <laughs> not a lot of variance there are you know women with uh who are endowed in the chest right or in, you know but it's not a regular thing right it's, so uh anyway 
<laughs> not, not not every lady X-Man's powers can be giant boobs. And so then we head into <laughs> even weirder stuff. Illicit sex relations are neither to be hinted at nor portrayed. Rape scenes as well as sexual abnormalities are unacceptable. Yeah, I had some trouble parsing this one. I think they're getting at incest here, like incest and rape, but I'm not 100% sure. Sexual abnormalities could be, con- at this time, you know, considered uh, hermaphroditism or... Oh, yeah. Um, it's trans- I, yeah, transgenderism. Right. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah. What the, you know, or it could be homosexuality. Yeah. Um, and well, probably there- was, you know, inferred. Yeah. There's definitely, there's a point a couple, uh, a couple further down where they... I think they're explicitly getting at homosexuality, but um, there's no word for it, you know, right. or, or not a socially acceptable word for it at yeah. that point. Um, but yeah, they, they um, so they kind of emphasize this seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. It's first of all, it's just super creepy that they put those two words together. Mm-hmm. Like it implies that forcing a woman to have sex is exactly as bad as a woman clearly wanting to have sex yeah usually <laughs> reverse engineering the mind of a sensor yeah. just shows their own problems yeah uh i mean in what uh, the, what history has paid out to show us yep um so again just to drive it home this is where we, what we were talking about earlier sex perversion or any inference to same is strictly forbidden yeah and, and that's, the, i think homosexuality or whatever what it was classified at psychologically at yeah. the time um, was called perversion. Yeah, I mean, that that's specifically talking about homosexuality, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, and, and I think um, I, I, I think uh, transgenderism would be considered part of that, too. Like, basically, um, you know, everything that, um, you know, the vice squads used to like bust into clubs and, and break up. Um, if it was happening at Stonewall, this it was considered th- this right. point is covering that. Um, so. Yep, just um, hooray, Another way that people weren't represented appropriately or correctly yep. because they were, yeah. it was forbidden. You know, actually, so talking about that, it makes me wonder, like going back up a couple points, the illicit sex relations. I wonder if that covers miscegenation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's like, is it, would that be considered something you couldn't show in a comic book? Like, could you not have a black person and a white person? in a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. and i think unfortunately i think the answer is probably yes so i think that's something that would get flagged by yeah i'm guessing so and i think there were some stories that were notably flagged that were we're specifically talking about um racial tensions and problems that they would have to they were asked to like change a black character to a white character that would make the story make no sense whatsoever i know for a fact there was an ec comics science fiction story where um, the whole payoff at the end of it is like it's a it's a story being told from an astronaut's point of view. He takes his helmet off and you see that it's a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like mind blowing, you know, in 1954. Um, and the comics code sent the page back because he had sweat on his brow. And they said that was problematic. <laughs> and, what and, William, and, and William Gaines, who had reached his absolute limit with the comics code at this point, was just like. F you we're running it. We're running yeah. it. And we'll take it's like, the, yeah, the it's like, stamp it, off. yeah, it, it's, it's like, if you want, if you want to, you try to hold us up from this, if you want to deny us the code, then we'll have this out in the public opinion. Um, and he won, uh, like yeah. they approved it and it, it just went, but yeah, I mean, definitely racial stuff would have been 
they would have found something in here to justify why you couldn't show it. Yeah. And then uh, last point here, and this just uh, relates specifically to uh, the things that actually paid the bills for the comics publishers, the advertisers, um, nudity with meretricious purpose and salacious postures <laughs> shall not be permitted in the advertising of any product. Clothes figures should never be presented in such a way as to be offensive or contrary to good taste or morals. So I don't know how any of those advertisements for x-ray specs got approved by the code right or even the uh you know go from whatever weakling to massive body yep. if you're if you're thinking about I, I mean obviously they were specifically thinking about women yeah not not like greased up oily bodybuilder right, men right. yeah you know um which were in every issue totally yeah but yeah those sea monkeys ads were <laughs> they were kind of racy <laughs> they were a little racy <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the comics code of 1954. Um, this piece of crap lasted for <laughs> almost two decades, like almost 50 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, in it, some shape yeah, or form in this form, it was uh, it was 17 years. And then um, it still hung on like the walking dead that it did not allow you to show <laughs> for another couple, three decades. Um, and then finally, you know, Marvel it, it, at a couple points, you know, in, in 1975, when the Spider-Man story came out with uh, Harry Osborn's drug use. Um, and then in uh, 2001, when they're just like, yeah, you know what? We're done. Um, mm-hmm. Like Marvel was kind of, um, they're pivotal in, um, in limiting the power of the code and, and bringing it down. But I mean, more accurately, uh, it was underground comics. It was small publishers. It was, you know, even, you know, in D.C. in the 80s, uh, started publishing their suggested for mature readers comics, which would become Vertigo. Yeah, um, which is their greatest achievement. Oh, absolutely. I, I, in my like DC's Vertigo revived my interest. And frankly, if, after you read a lot of comics code superhero stories yeah. for years, you start to wonder why you're doing that. Yeah. Like Batman's going to reset. Everyone's going to get out of the asylum uh, or, you know, yep. the prison. Um, and then you read something like like Doom Patrol or the Preacher or anything Alan Moore ever touched. Yeah. Uh, it, then you, you understand the true power of this medium yep. and, and why the comics code was just some bizarre, you know, chokehold it, or I don't know the correct way, you know, it was just suffocating yeah. what the art could be. Yeah. Really until the direct market started up in the eighties. Um, if you didn't have the comics code seal, you were not being carried on newsstands. And if you were not being carried on newsstands, you were out of business. You were out of business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you're, you know, R. Crumb or, you know, like any of the underground artists, you know, like Kitchen Sink Comics or something like that. And you could be sold in head shops. Um, yeah. Like that was that was your only alternative. Which was already, yeah, definitely the underground. You yeah, know, like totally. every every aspect of your supply chain was considered counterculture. Yeah. And, yep. uh, you know, to their credit. Um, especially for parents out there who are wondering, okay, then what the hell is being published right now? Yeah. Um, they're both DC and Marvel have their own rating systems. Those mm-hmm. rating systems are available. It, I mean, you know, you're the old preachy thing of like, well, just check what your kid's doing. Right. We all know that that is 100% not possible to sustain. Oh yeah. Uh, so just knowing that there are, you know, you can at least say, you know, your kid mentions a comic, you can check what, marvel or dc rates that comic to be uh so if they're getting something from the friend down the street uh you know there's ways to check this and luckily we have the magic of the internet yep so um but you know there there are there's a full gamut of 
of stories for all ages available at all times now from lots of different publishers. Totally. Like totally. Dark Horse uh, here near Portland, Milwaukee. It's a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Uh, they they started and ran successfully without a comics code their whole time. Yep. And um, they have done done a great job with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Dark Horse uh, was at various points was, you know, the number three or four publisher, you know, and pretty much has been, you know, all along. And yeah, they, they showed that with the direct market, um, when you're selling directly to comic book stores, um, you can move past some of this stuff, but you know, there's, Oh man, there, there's so much stuff. Read those two books that I mentioned. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the whole, uh, history of, you know, censorship and, uh, in comic books is fascinating. You had, you know, retailers who were, you know, they were like literally the subject of uh, vice raid busts um, and had to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees to to get out of that. You know, they were basically being accused in their communities of, you know, being child pornographers um, and, and like corrupting the youth. And this is stuff that was happening like in the 80s. This is not forever ago. Right. Uh, um, and I'm so happy that we have um, really great institutions like the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Um, who, you know, continues to stand up for creators and, and retailers um, when these things rear their ugly heads. Yeah, and it's arguably in a democracy, our job, your job, listeners, kind listeners, uh, <laughs> to to read these kinds of things, to be familiar with when, when we've gone off the rails yeah. uh, and what happened and why and what that really resulted in, because it really helps you parse uh, – what what people say as fake news yeah um it's it's another way to understand you know before you go out and burn a record <laughs> if you have records yeah uh, um <laughs> which is and god weird. bless you thank you for it's, supporting music by buying your weirdly record coming back <laughs> yeah um but uh before you, you forbid your child to get to any of these mediums or hear this music or do what whatever specific thing it is uh, think about it, look at it as much as you can, uh, look it up, but also uh, keep in mind that there have been many scares and there will continue to be uh, presently. It's the video game industry. Um, it's there's scapegoats for a lot of things. And and yes, yeah, granted, you know, having the, that baseball diamond in trails thing is still stuck in my head. And uh, and I really want to read that comic. But I'm a grown man. It, that's the thing is it's not always for kids, especially comics that grew yeah. up with us. And that's why two, two grown men are talking about <laughs> comics right now. Uh, we uh, we have almost 100 years between the two of yes, us. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, it, when you grow up with it, you want it to mature with you. Yeah. Um, and And if you have. If you go and explore more and more things and have different ideas, you want to see those reflected. I mean, Shakespeare wouldn't have passed the Comics Code Authority by any stretch Not of the a imagination. Not one of his plays. Yeah. Yep. So uh, think about that, too, when when you are thinking about censorship. And uh, and I don't know. I got to get off this soapbox <laughs> before I fall. I'm not very I'm a very clumsy man. No, I I think you summed it up great. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, I, I can't say it any better, um, but. It's, it's important to know this history and remember this history um, and also keep it in mind. Like as we're talking about these uh, books every week, um, that these are the restrictions that Marvel's creators were working under until, you know, man, <laughs> like we'll be 
10 more years into this podcast before this is no longer a factor. Right. So. And as I've said, continue to grow old with us listeners. Yes. And we will keep doing the podcast. Uh, and, you know, if you have thoughts on it, let us know. Like uh, message us, uh, email marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, or just, you know, write a snarky comment if you need to <laughs> on our Instagram posts. Uh, but engage. We will uh, we'll be happy to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for your patience with our inability to stick to a schedule. Um, <laughs> although I got to admit, I really do kind of like doing these fill in episodes. Um, so uh, we will uh, we'll try to get back on next week um, and uh, hopefully everything will be totally cool. So uh, until then, I'm Brian Stratton and I am Rob Milne. And I promise we will see you next week for next month. Next month.